If you are listening to the scripture reading, you might wonder what in the world does this have to do with a message series entitled Mighty to Save? You might be thinking, I didn't hear anything uh, that talked about might, and I didn't see any kind of saving going on in the text. Well, what we have is we, we heard read from chapter 35 or a portion of, but we're actually going to browse through and glean from Exodus chapter 25 all the way through the early portions of Exodus 36. And this body of scripture represents the response of the Israelites to God's mighty deliverance. And with that as a prolonged introduction, let us take a moment to prepare our hearts with prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you. And now as your word goes forth, may it not return empty until it has accomplished in our lives the thing for which you have purposed it. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. If you were here last Sunday, and I, I know many of you are here for the first time, but if you were here last Sunday, we looked at Exodus chapter 24, where we saw God confirm the covenant with Israel through his representative, Moses. And Moses gave the terms of the covenant, issued the commandments, and the people responded with one voice by saying, Everything the Lord has said we will do. And then to ratify that covenant, animals were sacrificed and blood was sprinkled all over the place in bowls and altars, even on the people. The covenant was ratified with blood. Now if that sounds gruesome, if that sounds a bit unusual or strange to ratify a covenant with blood, well then I simply commend to you the message from last Sunday which can be listened to online, uh, standrewskirk.com, and it will hopefully make more sense after that. But as we turn to the next chapter, as we turn to Exodus 25, with the covenant now in place, the Lord issues a new directive and asks the Israelites to give particular resources in order that he may have a sanctuary in which to dwell. The Lord says to Moses, You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So the next several chapters detail the building specifications for this sanctuary. The Lord details how the ark is to be constructed, how the table is to be built, what the lampstand is supposed to look like, what the tabernacle, the altar, all of it. Detailed specifications are given. But here's what happened. Moses spent so, so much time in the presence of the Lord getting these specifications, that the people down below became very, very impatient. They wanted to worship the Lord, and they were waiting for some instruction from Moses. But Moses didn't come quickly enough, because he was still with the Lord. So in the absence of instruction as to how to worship, the Israelites decided to make up their own way of worshiping the Lord. 
You turn to Exodus 32 and you'll see that Aaron instructed everyone to hand in their gold and their jewelry and they melted all the gold jewelry and they fashioned it in the form of a golden calf which was going to represent the Lord and they would worship this calf as if it was the Lord himself. Now to our modern ears that sounds ridiculous. It sounds as ridiculous as as me saying, well, let's, let's pretend that these plants down below are the Lord and we're going to worship. The... It sounds strange to the modern ear that a group of people would worship something made out of gold. And yet I want to suggest to you this morning that the principle in play in Exodus 32 is still in play in our day. Here's the principle. In the absence of clear direction for how to worship the Lord, our inclination will be to worship the Lord according to our own preferences. That's just a fancy way of saying if we don't read our Bible and if we don't see how the Lord wants us to worship Him, we'll just do it whichever way we please. We'll sing whatever songs we like. We'll have whatever rituals we choose. We'll make it up. I know this because we've been doing it for all of history. The scripture records time and time again, when we're not paying attention to the word of God, we're making up our own way of worshiping him. Now some of you may say, well, what's the big deal? Isn't that just man being creative? Well, what's all the fuss about? Kind of interesting, golden calf, good for them, that's very creative. No, this was a serious sin in the eyes of the Lord. And it was a serious breach of the covenant that they had just ratified with the Lord. If you read on in chapter 32, you see the Lord wants to end their existence. The Lord is so angry, He wants to destroy the covenant. He basically says to Moses, You're a good guy, I can still go with you, but the rest of these Israelites have to go. I'm fed up with them, they don't get it. Moses, let's just start this over. But Moses pleads with the Lord. Moses begs for the Lord's forgiveness. He begs that the Lord would be merciful to Israel. And he and the Lord relents. Moses successfully pleads the case, not on the basis of merit, but Moses succeeds in causing the Lord to relent, bringing any punishment or end to the covenant. So by the time we get back to Exodus 35, which we just heard read, all we're doing in Exodus 35 are circling back to the directive that was given in 10 chapters earlier in Exodus 25. So the the issue or the directive is being issued again. Let's get the sanctuary made. Let's get the tabernacle built and all of the accessories. Now, for this to get done, it's going to be required that people give a lot of things. And if we look at Exodus 35 verse 5, you'll see that the directive to contribute resources comes with some important qualifications. It comes with three important qualifications. The first qualification for the gifts is that the offering was to come from what you have. 
The offering is to come from what you have. What does that mean? The contribution should be related in some measure to your capacity to give. You've heard that saying, I can't give you what I don't have. That was a phrase I heard a lot as, as a child. I'd ask my mom for something and she'd say, Bryn, I can't give you what I don't have. Well, the Lord is not asking us to give what we don't have. The Lord is asking us to give, to make a contribution that's related to or in proportion to the resources He's given us. The Lord's intention is not to make anyone descend into poverty because of their gifts to Him. The call is for each person to give a portion of what they already have in their possession. I think it might be helpful to reference King David's words from a later period when David was similarly charged or he, he at least began to plan and resource for the building of the temple. As David considered the significance of what it would take to build the temple, here's what he said. He says to the Lord, everything comes from you and we have given to you only what has already come from your hand. What does that mean? David's words remind us, while we give from what we have, we must always bear in mind that what we have is from God. Now the second qualification I detect in this directive relates to the destination of the resources being given. This is important. The directive is this. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Take an offering for the Lord. So notice what the directive doesn't say. The directive doesn't say, from what you have, go and take an offering for this structure so that it can be built. So the call isn't to give to buildings. The call isn't to give to programs. The call isn't even given for personnel. But the call is to make an offering to the Lord. The gifts that we give, the contributions we make, it's not for St. Andrew's Kirk. It's not for this building. It's not for this pastor. It's not for those programs. Anything we give, everything we give, must be given unto the Lord. Now buildings may benefit, ultimately. Memorial gardens may benefit. Programs, people may ultimately benefit from the gifts. But this is not the impetus. This is not the reason. The reason we make our contributions has everything to do with who the Lord is and what He has done. So when we consider, well, what, what do I give to this ministry? Or what do I give to that ministry? It's actually not a question of need. It's not a question of what does this building need? Or what does this program need? It's a question of what ought we to give to the Lord from what we have. Considering who the Lord is, considering what He's done, what would be an appropriate gift to give Him? 
The third qualification in the directive, and this, this is so helpful, the third qualification is that our gifts are to come from a willing heart. From a willing heart. The Lord says, and this is the Lord, He says, everyone who is willing is to bring an offering to the Lord. So guess what? If you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm not willing. I'm not willing. I'm, I'm not willing to make the kind of contribution that some people think I ought to give. You don't have to. The Lord doesn't want you to. He only wants you to give what you want to give. He says everyone who is willing should bring something. Presumably suggesting if you're not willing, don't bother. Because it won't benefit you to give begrudgingly. So what I want you to see is that the, the invitation to make a contribution, it's not some kind of guilt trip. You should never be in a situation where a preacher stands up, talks about resources and contribution. You should never feel guilty. Because the Lord does not want your guilt offering. He wants your free will offering. He wants your willing gift. At the Lord's directive, He says our contributions are entirely voluntary. And because the Lord issues the invitation... It's not Bryn McPhail inviting you to give anything. Whether you give a penny, a dollar, or a few thousand dollars, I get paid the same amount of money. I'm not affected by what you give or don't give. It's the Lord who issues the invitation. And the Lord's not into manipulation. He will not manipulate or coerce you to give anything. He's seeking those to give with willing hearts. Well, this is consistent with who He is. The earth is the Lord's and all that is within it. Psalm 24.1 The Lord made this. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this universe. The Lord made all of this. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our contributions. He didn't need the Israelites' contributions. He could have built Himself a sanctuary. Probably a much nicer one. The Lord doesn't need our gifts. But He invites those with willing hearts to play a part. Why? I'm guessing it's for our own benefit. I'm guessing it's for our own benefit. Now there's times like, folks, you know that I'm not very handy, so I don't want you to picture me building anything sophisticated. But I remember a few years back when Annual, my daughter, was a little younger, and I'd be working on something, and she would say, Can I help? And my first instinct is, well, if she helps, this is going to take a lot longer. If, if Anya helps me, we might make a mess. We might get this wrong. If she helps me, you know, this is just going to draw out this, this simple task and make it a long, convoluted task. I think that might be an analogy for what the Lord does with us. The Lord could do it all by Himself. And then we show up and say, can we help? And if he says, no, I got this, it's going to be perfect. And if he says, yes, come and help, we might mess things up. But the Lord's willing to have us wrestle and struggle with our contribution because we benefit when we participate. Just as my daughter benefits when I allow her to participate in a household function or task, we benefit when we participate and make contributions to the Lord. 
Now, I want to lay out what I think are some reasons why people give money to the Lord or why people give money to particular ministries. Here are just some common ones. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, of course. Some people give money, I understand, begrudgingly. Some people give money begrudgingly. Uh, There are people who've read the scriptures and they're like, oh, well, they gave some money and they gave some resources, so I, I better ante up and make a contribution as well. So there are some people who give out of a sense of duty. Some people give out of a sense of obligation. I ought to do something and so they make a gift. I hope there's no one in that category here. It's possible. Others might give their gift, and this is a common one. Others might give their gift superstitiously. Superstitiously. What do I mean by that? I mean, people give a gift thinking, well, if I don't give a gift, or if I don't give enough of a gift, then maybe something bad is going to happen to me. Or maybe if I do give a gift, something good will happen to me. And if I give a bigger gift, then something better will happen to me. That's giving superstitiously. Still others give their money or make their contributions because they want other people to see their contribution. They may even want others to commend their generosity. But what does the Lord want from you? God wants you to want to give. God wants you to want to give. He wants you to give with a willing, cheerful heart. With those three qualifications in place, we give according to what we have, we give unto the Lord, and we give with a willing heart. With those three qualifications in place, I now want us to give careful consideration to what motivated the Israelites to give. Now, you'll notice if you're following in Exodus, not a lot of time has passed since they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. So the Israelites were quite recently an oppressed people, an enslaved people. But God miraculously delivered them. He sent the plagues that ultimately compelled Pharaoh to let them go. He miraculously parted the Red Sea and and enabled the people to, to reach beyond the army of the Egyptians. He liberated the people from bondage. Then he gave them some commandments. He imparted to the Israelites the law. But then guess what? The Israelites broke the law. They did all kinds of bad things. They did the opposite of what the Lord wanted. But instead of punishing them, the Lord forgave them. The Lord extended kindness and mercy and forgiveness. So what I want you to see in this, and we see it in Exodus 35 and 36, what motivated the Israelites to be generous was the kindness of God. And that's so important because when I think of what's going to make my heart willing to be generous, what's going to make my heart uh, willing to uh, to make a contribution, it's the kindness of God. It's the recognition that I deserved punishment, but I received mercy. That I I, I deserve, what I deserve is to be thrown out of the covenant, but instead grace was extended to me. I like the way Pastor Alistair Begg puts it. He says, the people demonstrate their overflowing gratitude through their overflowing generosity. 
in response to overflowing grace. The experiences of the Israelites in Moses' day were extraordinary. They saw amazing things. They saw plagues that were just beyond our comprehension. They saw the the ocean or the sea uh, rise up to walls on either side. And they were able to walk on dry land. They saw extraordinary things. The grace they experienced was abundant. But what about us? What has been our experience of God? I think our experience of God has even been more extraordinary. And you're thinking, well, I've never seen the sea part and I look at it every day. You've never seen plagues like the ones described in the early portions of Exodus. What do you mean that what we've experienced is more extraordinary than the Israelites? Well, think of it. According to the the New Testament, according to the Apostle Paul, we were enslaved to what? We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to death. We were literally hell-bent. But now through Christ and His sacrificial death, we too have been liberated. But we've been liberated, liberated by something far more terrifying. We once lived in spiritual darkness, but now through Christ we dwell in His marvelous light. Friends, do you believe what the song says? We were once lost, but now we're found. We were once spiritually blind, but now we see. We have experienced the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's out of that experience, it's out of that overflow of grace, that a grateful, generous response should emerge. The contributions of the Israelites in Moses' day, the manner of their giving, I want to suggest to you should be a model for how Christians should give today. I want to make three observations about the manner in which the Israelites gave. And I want to suggest to you that the Christian living in the 21st century ought to give in the same manner. First, I want you to notice that the people didn't simply give out of what they had, but they also gave out of what they were. They didn't simply give out of what they had. They didn't simply pull out some money. They didn't simply hand in some jewelry. They didn't simply give of their resources, but they also gave according to who they were. We read in 35 verse 35, The Lord filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, and embroiderers. What does that mean? It means the Lord not only gives people resources to make a contribution, but He gives His people particular skills which they can employ for His glory. And I want to speak to those of you who are thinking this morning, well, I don't have a lot of resources to give. Some of you are thinking, well, gee, when that collection plate is passed, I don't have a lot to put in there. 
That's okay. You can only give from what you have, not from what you don't have. But what we all have is a particular skill. God has gifted you with certain talents and abilities. And these two ought to be used for God's glory. The contribution we make to His kingdom can be with our physical skills, our mental skills. Don't simply give from what you have. Give according to who you are. The second observation that I would like us to make, and this is, this is interesting to me. The people of Israel were continuously making contributions. This is going to be frightening for some. The people of Israel were continuously making contributions. In other words, they weren't making a one-time gift and saying, There you go. This is all I can afford. I've done the math. This is all you're getting for the year. That's it. Done. No. Look at chapter 36, verse 3. The people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Morning after morning. They continuously brought their gifts. Well, why would it be this way? Why wouldn't the people of Israel do the math, figure out what a good tithe is, and hand it in? Why wouldn't it be a one-time gift? Why would it be repeated? Here's my best guess. The people gave regularly. The people gave daily. Because for them, it was an act of worship. Why did they give daily? The same reason we pray daily. And if I said, who here prays once a year? Hopefully no one puts up their hand. If I say, who prays once a month or once a week? Hopefully nobody puts up their hand. I think we all realize that we pray every single day... Because it's a huge part of our engagement of God in worship. So then I think, why do they give every day? And the natural answer seems to be for the people of God then and for the people of God now. Giving is an act of worship. Now the final thing I want us to observe is the most extraordinary part of it all, at least for me. And if you have your... Well, no, we'll put it up on the screen, but if you want to look at your own translation, Exodus 36, verse 3 and 5, we find that the people... This is, this is great. They contributed more than what was needed. They contributed more than what was needed. I want you to hear the words from Scripture directly. The people continued to bring the free will offerings morning after morning. You heard that. So all the skilled craftsmen were doing all the work on the sanctuary, left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord that he commanded to be done. Now picture this. Can you imagine this? So you're one of those skilled laborers, and you've measured out how much gold you need, how much of this kind of wood you need, and how much of bronze you need. You've worked it all out. And person after person, family after family, keeps bringing stuff. 
gold and silver and bronze and wood and all the fasteners and, and all the fabrics that are required. It just keeps coming in. And finally, you're a worker and you just say, I can't work in this environment. I got gold everywhere. I got fabric everywhere. I can't get my work. There's too much stuff here. And so it says they stopped working. They went on strike. Why did they go? Why do people go on strike? They go on strike because they're not getting enough, right? These workers went on strike because they got too much. They got too much. So they go to Moses and they say, you've got to put an end to this. You've got to put an end to this generosity. It's affecting our work environment. So here's what Moses orders in verse 6. It's a stern order. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the Lord. Do you see what's just happened there? The people of God were so generous, Moses had to order their generosity to be restrained. Can you imagine? Can you imagine our treasure, Lindsay Casino, coming out one Sunday from the counting room saying, Bryn, you've got to talk to the people next Sunday. We're counting way too much money. It's making me late for lunch. There's just way too many funds coming in. We don't need all this. Just tell them to keep it or give it somewhere else. Can you imagine? No more collections for the rest of the year. Now, as I preach from this text, I I do realize the subject of giving money can sometimes be a sensitive subject. It can be a subject that offends certain people. But I hope you're hearing this morning, it doesn't need to be a controversial subject. Once we realize that the gifts we give are entirely voluntary... Once we realize the gifts that we give are based on our capacity, on what we actually have. Our act of giving should be free of any guilt or obligation. And once we realize that our gifts are not given in response to building needs, in response to program needs or personnel needs... We should feel free to offer our gifts as an act of worship to the Lord. I don't want any of you to feel obligated to give. I long for your gift to God to be an expression of overflowing gratitude. In response to God's overflowing grace in your life. You often hear the phrase, God is good. God is good. Has He been good to you? If God has been good to you, then every response, every gift, is an act of worship. Every gift is simply our gratitude expressed. Amen.